0: Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 177 of the award-winning Australian podcast, <laughs> yeah. The Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Uh, we talk about news and politics and religion, and boy, there is a lot of news about politics and religion at the moment. My name is Trevor. I'm your host of... I'm the Iron Fist. With me, as always, is Scott the Velvet Glove.
1: G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. And for those of you that are keeping track, I'm drinking a Mountain Goat Pale Ale, which is from Bronwyn, our second beer sponsor. Well, our third beer sponsor, actually. Mm. So thank you very much, Bronwyn. It's going down a real treat, actually.
2: It is. Thank you, Bronwyn. And also, Paul the Twelfth Man. Good evening, Trevor, Scott. Congratulations to both of you. To
0: the three
1: of us. Nice. To the three of us.
2: To the three of us. Yes. yes. Well done, mm. so especially do you, listen- you, Trevor, being mm. the, the the man behind the mechanics of the podcast. <laughs> right, thank you.
0: I, I think your show notes got us over the line, actually. Dear, dear listener, the, I'm a part of a meet-up group in Brisbane called the um, Brisbane Podcasters Meetup Group, and I've uh, been going for 12 months since it started, and fantastic group of people who have their own little podcasts. And as part of the end-of-year celebrations, there was a bit of a competition for the podcast of the year and the people's choice and the best intro and we won the podcast of the year award so thank you very much to the meetup group for that and uh it was good fun it's Mm. nice to get a little bit of recognition it wasn't the biggest competition in the world so you know we haven't you know keep it keep keep your thoughts about it Low, because, you know, don't. we're not talking <laughs> hundreds of entries here. So um,
2: Don't, don't yeah. let your uh, narcissism get out of control but, over but one And Our egos are award. in check, put yes. it that way.
0: But uh, anyway, it was nice know, to win. It,
1: is, it was an award, yeah. and I think that you're going to be very proud of that. So, yeah. Yeah. well done, Trevor. Well,
0: I think we're producing a nice podcast, so it's a worthwhile venture. Absolutely. So, anyway, it was good to get some recognition. Right. Well, we started this podcast, Scott, over three years ago because we were interested in news and politics, and in particular – religion mm. and the way that our society and our government and our politics is just dominated by uh, religion when it really shouldn't be and mm-hmm. the influence of religion we felt was way too strong and we wanted to do something about it mm. and you know it's it's like somebody saying we knew the beatles before it was popular
3: yeah. <laughs> because
0: about religion and politics is just becoming every day now in our
1: newspaper. It's really it, come to the fore. It is becoming every day. And it's um I can't work out where the Liberal Party is headed with all this. They seem intent on dragging it with them, despite the fact that forty percent of the population has already answered no, that they have no religion in the census. You know, and then you've probably got another 20% that are submarine Catholics. So, you know, it's... <laughs>
0: but let's just explain what happened today. Oh, so, yeah,
1: it, so, this is absolutely ridiculous.
0: So, so what, what we had was the gay marriage debate done and dusted, settled, and, you know, gay marriage was legalised, mm. authorised, if you like. And as, as part of that, though, people became aware of, of some of the privileges that religious groups have. And one of them that they became, well, because of that, it was the Ruddock Inquiry, the Ruddock Inquiry got uh, leaked, and one of the recommendations was in relation to children in religious schools, and it noted the fact that religious schools can, at the moment, due to a special exemption, expel students based on their sexual preference. And people were shocked to learn this. They obviously hadn't been listening to our podcast for three years, and that's fair enough. Not many have, Hmm. but that alerted the public to this issue. And Scott Morrison came out and said, "Uh, "Okay, we'll we'll pass a law to remove that exemption." And everyone went, "Great!" And it's been quiet for a little while. And today, it's all that you know. It's hit the fan because he's come out with proposed legislation, which, yes. It says we will remove the exemption that allows schools to expel gay students. However, he's inserted a couple of extra provisions into the Act that he's proposing, one being recognition of religious freedom as grounds for a reasonable policy to combat a claim of indirect discrimination, whatever that all means, plus Another item of a specific provision noting that teaching in schools in accordance with religious beliefs of the schools could not be made the subject of a discrimination claim. So instead of just a simple repeal of this abhorrent law that allows schools to expel gay students, he's tacked on... Extra religious privilege as part of the whole package and said to Labour here, sign this. Mm-hmm. And Labour is saying No. No, we've got advice that effectively what you're doing is replacing one form of discrimination with another. So we're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So So there we go. Like he he couldn't just give what he said. No. He had to include extra privileges and no doubt because the religious right wing of the party lent on him, and it's his own personal preference, mm-hmm. was thrown in. So now you might be thinking, what did all that extra bit mean? What, what are they talking about there? What, what extra bits do they want schools to be able to do? And it wasn't entirely clear to me until I, I read a, a piece where Amanda Stoker was interviewed. So she's one of the new senators from Queensland because one of the old senators was ineligible. Mm. And uh, I'll quote a section here from an article that says, The concern about removing the protections without including additional amendments for religious freedoms was because of the threat of activist parents and activist children. Take, for example, the situation of a parent or child who wants to be an activist in a religious school. You've got a conservative Catholic school and you've got a child who wants to run a gay club within the school. That clearly contradicts with Catholic teaching and Catholic schools should have the right to say that's not within the framework of the values we want for this school. So that's the sort of thing that they're trying to say, well, okay, we won't expel you for being gay, but if you start up a gay club, that will give us a reason to expel you. (laughs) They are obsessed with what goes on in people's bedrooms. They are.
1: It really makes me physically ill. You know, you've got these people that just will not leave the bedroom alone. You know? Mm. They refuse to move on from that. It makes... Mm. It's extremely frustrating.
0: So the sort of thing that they're wanting is an expansion of the previous rights. So previously they could expel a kid for being gay previously if a non-gay kid started up a pro-gay club they maybe couldn't do anything about it so this is an expansion of power that they didn't have or in addition you know an implementation of power they didn't have before so that's the sort of thing that, that this government is obsessing about they can't pass a simple piece to clean up a nasty piece of legislation, they've got to try and tack in extra so-called religious freedom.
1: I started off the evening as saying, I don't know what planet ScoMo's on, and I still stand by that. I, I don't know what planet he's on. He's clearly, he's just setting himself up to fail, I think. I think he wants to lose the next election,
0: mm. you know. So in the interview in Parliament House, the the reporters are trying to get their head around this, and they're saying, so is this dealing with the situation where a school is teaching religious doctrine that being gay is sinful and bad? Is that what we're getting at here? And clearly that is the sort of thing that we're getting at. And one of the reporters said, so we've now moved from who can be in schools to what are we teaching in these schools? And this is the danger for these religious groups. You know, every time they bleat about something, it just exposes to the public...
1: What they're actually teaching.
0: What they're up to, exactly. So if they'd have just shut up and said, "Okay, kids... We won't expel you. Done and dusted, and let's move on. It would be all over. Mm-hmm. But now there's going to be an examination of what
1: they actually do, of teach.
0: what they're teaching. Are mm-hmm. these schools teaching nasty things like it's sinful to be gay and you should be ashamed of yourself and you should go to gay conversion therapy? Is that mm-hmm. what you're teaching? Now, the interesting thing was they said to Bill Shorten, "You know, under your arrangement, would it be okay for a school to teach that?" being gay is sinful. And he squirmed on the issue. He he wasn't prepared to say categorically. He just said, oh, we've got general legal advice that this is a form of discrimination. But he, he, he had to squirm out of it. So instead of coming through and saying, you're right, you know, they shouldn't be able to teach this sort of stuff. I don't care whether it's religious doctrine. You shouldn't be making gay kids feel
2: bad about being gay. <laughs> I don't care if it's your doctrine or not. This is but right. he wasn't prepared to. Do you suspect that's part of bill shorten's problem and why people don't really like him is because he never really sounds like he's speaking from his heart he He doesn't often, but
0: he's i think he's been on the improve to tell you the truth I That's heard a only speech. because
1: he can see that the the lodge is within range
0: yeah, no? he can he's got a good tailwind behind him, so but anyway, on this issue he he squirmed he wasn't
2: wasn't prepared to be quite clear about it so. I think he, I think there was something going on in his in his the calculation part of his brain saying, "How many voters will I turn off if I say the wrong thing on this one?" Yeah, he wasn't ready for it, so he just squirmed and squibbed. So,
0: so there we go. So instead of just accepting and and deleting that exemption, there's now going to be a big discussion about what are you actually teaching that you're wanting protection for? Let's look at it, and,
1: and I can't wait.
0: Yes. Because bring on the shit fight. <laughs> it's a
1: bring on the shit fight, exactly, because it's gonna it's gonna expose the nonsense that they actually teach. Yeah. And people are gonna say, Well, you can't say that to kids and then they're gonna be then they're gonna be back That's into right. a corner again. That's right. You know, it was what did you say about the whole religious freedom review? You said that um, it was a spectacular own goal. They just keep kicking their own goals.
2: Yep. You know? But look, it's not only the Christian schools. What about the Jewish schools and the Islamic schools.
1: No, they all have to toe the same line. And yes. this is the whole point that I, I hope out of this that at the end of the day, they all sit there and they say, oh, it's too fucking hard. We, we won't teach religion in schools. That would be brilliant if they did that. I'm not, you know?
2: not, not going to do that. Not, not
0: I know gonna they're happen. not
1: going to do that, but it would be
2: brilliant if they did. But wouldn't it also be brilliant if people actually started sitting up and saying, hey, maybe we should know what they're teaching kids in these schools. All of them. Yeah, I think so. Let's, let's open it all up, have a big conversation. Mm. Exactly what do they teach about God and, you know, sky fairies and the whole business? Yeah. Sometimes you've
0: just got to know when to tap out, when to cut and run. Then mm. um,
1: they really should have cut and run a hell of a lot earlier than this.
0: Yeah. In the words of Kenny Rogers,
1: you got to know when to hold and run. <laughs> know when to Know when to walk away, know when to run. You don't count your money. When yeah. you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough to count when, when the deal is done.
0: Yeah, so they're just sitting there. They've got all their money on the table exposed to everybody. They should have left a long time ago. <laughs> and everyone's looking at it going, I want a piece of that. What do you mean you have got all that stuff? We've got to, we got. can't have that. That's, that's where they're at. So... They can't help themselves. And but, you know,
1: I really hope this exposes them and that, you know, the purple economy comes the national book where we all sit there and say these bastards have got away with how much for so long mm. and it's now to start time to start taxing them. Indeed. Yep. Yeah.
0: Right. So that's the current update on religion at the moment. Uh, one of the interesting things about this is Scott Morrison was saying that he was going to give his uh, side of Parliament a conscience vote. Um, Labour was saying, Well, you don't need a conscience uh, vote for this. Like, how could you have a conscience and vote against it? So, but uh, when it comes to conscience votes, remember back in Queensland, we recently had some new uh, laws passed in relation to abortion, law, and a conscience vote was granted to the LNP. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, Tim Nichols, Jan Stuckey, and Steve M- Minikin decided, great, conscience vote. I'll actually vote in favour of these new abortion laws. And um, what's happened is the party president, Gary Spence, has lambasted these three and basically called their pre-selection into question. So it's an example where a conscience vote is not necessarily a conscience vote because no. you could find yourself being severely punished by the, by the machine, the party machine, if they don't like uh, how you how you exercised your conscience vote. So that's, you know... A so-called
2: Clayton's conscience
0: vote. Well, it it was a
1: Clayton's conscience vote. Mm. You know, Gary Spence is an idiot for targeting these three because, you know, I was very surprised that Tim Nichols was described as a moderate because he was the architect of the Campbell Newman budget. He was the one that took Queensland down the road where there was no coming back from that. They were going to lose. However, him, Jan Stuckey and Steve Minikin have been lambasted by the uh, by the p- party president.
3: Yeah.
0: So there, yeah, it'd be interesting to uh, think about that with the conscience vote, whether people really can exercise a free, a free choice in this Conservative Party. So mm-hmm. as part of that article, actually, it made the point that in Queensland, Conservatives have been in opposition For 24 of the past 29 years, since the end of the Joe era, Mm. that's a lot of time of conservatives in opposition. Absolutely. People think of Queensland as being, you know, the conservative heartland, Heartland, but in state government terms, not at all.
1: No, it's not. And this is something that my better half often points out to New South Welshmen. you know, because when the marriage equality vote came up, there were, Two seats in Queensland that got the highest scores in the whole country in favour of it, there was you know twelve seats in Sydney that voted no yes, whereas up here in Queensland, I think there was only two seats that voted no yeah. groom was one of them, and then the, there was somewhere yeah. else up northwest
2: there seems to be a perception down south that 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 Queensland is still this backwater you know this uh, conservative backwater, and certainly there are a lot of conservative people but <laughs> You no really have to see
1: the LNP behaving like this but, to then realise yeah. that that's where it's coming from. But
2: the Labor Party mm. has actually historically been quite successful in Queensland, mm. especially prior to Joe Biocchi-Peterson era, I think. Hasn't
0: yeah, it? and you've got to remember, he had a gerrymander that kept him in power. A lot that's of people were right. voting against him, just
1: couldn't do anything about it at the time. So. I know that, but mm. the gerrymander was originally started by the Labor Party. Oh, yeah. was Perfected really, by yeah. Joe. It was but, perfected by Joe, yes, yeah. but it was, it was started by the Labor Party mm. because, you know, you had a... Majority of rural workers were out in those rural seats, so the gerrymander worked for the Labor Party back then.
0: Mm. Right. Um, Have you guys heard about this news where there was a barrister in Victoria who was representing criminals in some high-profile cases with the sort of Victorian mafia, if you like, and that barrister was actually acting as a police informant at the time... And really? Yes. And was passing on information to the police over many years. It just
1: came out a couple of days ago this yes. story, didn't it? So So he's so I think Could like, have been kicked out of the legal profession. Yeah, hasn't it? You know, was she, it was I a she was a she. She was it, yes. okay.
0: Um, so what's happened now is at least twenty two convictions, including that of underworld figure Tony Mockbell, are now in question because their legal counsel was in cahoots with the police at the time. So they've called for a Royal Commission in Victoria to try and deal with how on earth did the Victorian police think that was a good idea? Because Crazy. you can't have a p- police informant acting as legal counsel for no. criminals.
2: It totally undermines the, um, yeah. you know, the principle of, of, of justice for all.
0: Does it? yes,
2: so we have. You know,
1: I mean, the whole point is legal privilege has been around since Magna Carta days, hasn't it? Oh, it'd be a long time. Yeah. Mm. So this is how how long it is that the Victorian police decided to circumvent that history makes no sense. It, it's crazy that they yeah. thought they could get away with it. Yeah. Someone- had a brain explosion. Absolutely.
0: Mm. Some people try and draw a comparison between lawyer-client confidentiality and the sanctity of the confessional. Ah, bullshit. Uh, yep. <laughs> so, dear listener, we've dealt with this in the past, but we'll, we'll just run over it quickly again. So we're saying that priests, Catholic priests who hear about uh, pedophile activity in the confessional must report this to the police. I'd
1: even go as far as to say that they should report all criminal activity to the police. Well, mm.
0: Yes, they should. But mm. Yes, they should, any criminal activity. Um, you know, Typically wife beating, for example, exactly. or something like that. But, um, but on the other hand, dear listener, if you are a lawyer acting for an accused and the accused confesses to you, then uh, you're, you are not allowed to tell the police and you're under duty not to tell the police that there was a confession, Um, all you can do is say to the accused, well, now that you've told me that you're guilty, I can act for you provided you plead guilty. But if you plead not guilty, then I cannot act for you and I have to withdraw. And in that situation, you simply say to the court, "Uh, I am withdrawing from this case and you don't say. Because he pled guilty to me back in the office, (laughs) you say, I'm just withdrawing. And the, the, the court just says, okay, you're withdrawn. And he has to go and find another lawyer. Yeah. Is that legal professional obliged to do that, or, yes. or that's just an you option? cannot continue to act for the person oh, really? in a not guilty plea if you know they're guilty because <laughs> they they're
1: suborning yeah. perjury? Is that the term?
0: Oh, I don't know what the expression would be, but you're just not allowed to do it. And the point in that is, though, that justice still gets a crack at the guy. So you know, the the, the police and everybody else will still. The machine still happens and the person is is still dealt with by the system. And it's a system that we've all agreed to because we need full and frank communication between people in order to encourage pleas where necessary. And, and the system just works better as a result. There's, there's an offsetting benefit for that. And in the case of the Catholic priest, there's no offsetting benefits and there's only just detriment and and obstruction of justice. So so there's the difference. Right. Uh, other news. A lot of children took Friday off and went and protested. Gentlemen, any thoughts whether children should be taking the day off to, to protest about climate change?
1: Well, I'd prefer they didn't take the day off. However, someone's got to say something about it because the government clearly doesn't care. And we also would not have had some of those incredibly funny... Some
0: of the quotes, yeah. yeah. I'll let you read out the signs in a minute. But, yeah. tough man, what's your opinion? Should children be able to take afternoon I, off I on actually, a Friday? Friday? And-
2: you know, I actually discussed this with some colleagues over lunch the other day and all my colleagues, I think, were in favour of it and I was the only dissenting voice and I said, look, you know, how, how well does the average child really understand the world and really understand uh, what they're protesting about or, you know and and my colleagues were basically saying oh yeah kids are smarter than you think and i said yeah i'm not saying kids are stupid but kids can be fairly easily persuaded along a particular ideological line as as we know they are with religion very very easily persuaded as to the veracity of you know religious bullshit and i'm a little bit worried you know i think kids should go to school to learn about the world learn how to Think, how, how to analyse the world critically before they start actually participating in, in the political life of a nation. You know, I think they should be learning rather than being led down any particular ideological path by... But, but is it an ideological path it is an to ideological simply learn
0: that, yeah. that climate change is happening, that it's caused by, yeah. by people and that the earth is warming up and... If we don't do something about it, we've got big problems by the time these kids are 50. Well, this was a difficulty. Is is that that an ideology
2: or isn't that just education? Well, it is. Inevitably, there are ideological elements. Now, my friends were saying to me, are you mad? You know, of course, everyone knows climate change is real. And I'm saying, yeah, I don't dispute climate change. Mm -hmm. I'm just a little bit worried because what's, you know, what's if kids get the idea that they should be out protesting... For particular causes, what's the next cause? And the other the the other thing about it is that. Um, do you, do you, hmm? Sorry, keep going. Well, a, a, a friend of mine sent me an article published by the IPA, and, Institute of Public Affairs, yes. notorious right-wing think tank. Well, yep. it is a conservative think tank, but mm. it, but but they're entitled to publish yep. a view, and yep. and their view was. That uh, you know, a lot of the teachers in schools are, are fairly left-leaning, and you know, some of them are, some of them aren't. But the curriculum, the the social studies curriculum, is uh, a little bit left ideologically. I have to say that's true because um, there's a lot there's a lot of social justice ideas uh, in the social studies curriculums these days. And not that that's a bad thing necessarily. And I think it's good for kids to be exposed to a a, a range of contemporary issues. That's a very good thing. But I think teachers have to be very careful not to be guiding the student's uh, ideological orientation in that
1: sense, if you know what I mean. Yeah, see, I Uh, I, I, I tend to disagree with you, Paul. mm. I would have thought that climate change was something that was above ideology. Well said. I think it is yes or no. And the yes has 97% of climate scientists behind it. No has 3% of them behind it. Therefore, it's an empirical answer that is a fact that humans are causing the climate to change. Therefore, I don't think it's problematic that kids go out and demand their government do something. Mm. Because... um, these kids are well. If they're twelve, they're only six years away from voting. They're only two elections away from voting. So that I think is um, okay for them to protest.
0: You know, if they're fifteen, 15, 16, 17, they could, then they could be voting intelligent. For- I mean, they're, yeah. they're working out some pretty high level mathematics at that stage that you gonna yeah. tip your hat to. Look,
2: like, I, do, I don't have a problem and- with the view that climate change is real. I really oh, I know don't. that. Yeah, but. What's the next cause that they're going okay. to be encouraged okay. to protest okay. about? Will they be encouraged to take up the cause for Indigenous recognition in the Constitution? But, but,
0: but Paul, you know what? Like, we bemoan the fact that people don't pay enough attention to politics yeah. and what's going on in the world. So if, it, if these kids are actually getting off their butts and paying attention to it, I think that's a great thing. Yes. And I also look back on my schooling, and I could have taken every Friday off for 12 years and I would have been fine. Like, <laughs> seriously, like the amount of time that's just wasted in school, you can catch up. It's, you know, it's not that vital. Well, it's, it's and then there was vital. the
2: article uh, the other day where in New South Wales, uh, some princi- New South Wales Principals Association was yes. saying, let's dispense with uh, special religious instruction because the curriculum is so crowded that we can't fit everything in. Mm. And you want to take every Friday off. <laughs> Personally, I, I,
0: I could have taken every Friday
2: off. And you would have been okay. And
0: I would have caught up and been fine. Yeah. But, you know, maybe I'm lucky. But what, there's a lot of wasted time. What about the tw- so, uh,
2: allegedly so. the 20% of, of kids who, who, who wouldn't know how much fuel was left in the tank from looking at the fuel gauge, yeah. according to the report? What's that? Well, there was somebody said that they reckoned something like 20% of Australian uh, high school graduates wouldn't wouldn't know how much fuel was left in the tank of their car from looking at the fuel gauge. And I thought, that's a funny one, isn't it? But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I say good on the kids and the fact that we've got
0: some activist kids, we need them because way too much is happening without people paying attention. Okay. So
2: what do you think about when adults participate in a public demonstration for, for a political cause, no, and they carry a... their kids on their shoulders with their kids holding up placards, and the kids are too young to really know what it's about. I
0: think people look at it and they go, well, a kid doesn't know what they're talking about, and they're obviously they're accompanying their parents, so no big deal.
2: Where do you draw the line? But, at but, what age do you draw the line? But you don't
0: have to draw a line. You just look at the crowd and you go, some of these kids don't know what they're talking about, and some do. And I don't care what the proportion is. I don't need to draw a line. I just need to know or think at least a handful of the kids in that crowd actually know what's going on and have decided to do
2: something about it. Good on them. But, look, kids, you know, are subject to peer pressure and a lot of Mm. kids will join in even if they don't really understand the issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, this would be a very interesting question is to see what the difference would be had they uh, decided to hold the protest on Saturday. Right. And then the very interesting thing would be to see what the difference was between those that decided to wag school and go to the protest and those that genuinely were concerned mm. about the whole thing and turned up on Saturday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, yeah, that said, I do support the kids because climate change is going to bite them in the ass. before So do you support us.
2: them just on this issue or on
1: any issue? No, basically just this issue. Now, you know, I was involved with a teacher back at the time when the second Gulf War was on. And he was out there promoting his kids to go on protests when they walked out of school. And I said to him, I said, look, I've got no problem with them protest. However, one of the things you've got to remember, and I went back to the thirties and I said, you know, Hitler ignored the Versailles Treaty. Hussein is ignoring the treaty that ended the war and the first Gulf War now you know, I'm not saying which one's right, but I said there was a difference of opinion there. Look,
0: if, if the USA invaded Venezuela tomorrow and kids took Friday afternoon off to protest, good on them.
1: Mm. I yeah, I understand where you're coming from.
0: In the United States, there's a court case, Juliana versus United States, and in that, a group of young people are suing the federal government over its climate change policies. So that's the other thing they could do, twelfth men, is just go to court and start a court action. something. There were some good quotes that were revealed in the Blot Report. Regular listeners may remember my interview with Mr. Blot from a couple of months ago, and he had a little summary of some of the posters that the kids were holding up. Scott, have you got some of those? Yeah. yeah. Your favourites? My
1: favourite was, I've seen smarter cabinets at IKEA. I thought mm. that was very clever. Mm. There are no jobs on a dead planet. Mm. Act now or swim later. Make Earth cool again. <laughs> Our future, not yours. Stop burning my ancestors, I think was the last oh,
0: okay. one. Yeah. I, I saw some that I liked. We'll be less activist if you'll be less shit. Um, <laughs> civil disobedience requires no permission slip. Sorry, I can't tidy my bedroom. I have to save the planet. <laughs> uh, and this can't wait till I'm bigger. Now, apparently Pauline Hansen, our friend was friend of the program, he commented on uh, Pauline Hansen's Facebook page about something, which is how I come across this. She said she didn't author this, but she agrees with the sentiment, and she quoted this person who had written, and towards the end, I'll start the quote, which was, how about this? Tell your teachers to switch off the air con. Walk or ride to school, switch off your devices and read a book. Make a sandwich instead of buying manufactured fast food. No, none of this will happen because you are selfish, badly educated, virtue-signalling little turds inspired by the adults around you who crave a feeling of having a noble cause while they indulge themselves in Western luxury and unprecedented quality of life. Wake up, grow up, and shut up until you assure the facts before protesting. That was that was the Pauline Hanson opinion of it.
1: Well, I'd say to her, 100%, uh, where was this... <laughs> 100% renewable is doable. Mm. Is, no, 100% renewable is 100% doable.
0: I don't think that's going to change her mind. No, it's mm-hmm.
1: not going to change her mind. But, you know, she is banging on about, you know, y- y- this is one of the things that really gives me the shits, ladies and gentlemen, is that you've got these people that say, well, you know, what was the carbon footprint of you flying to that conference that you went there and banged on about? Okay, that's one thing. Now, you're never going to be able to get rid of the carbon footprint from air travel, but... of the carbon production in Australia comes from our electricity sector. Now, if we all went through to solar and wind and battery backups, we would have a situation that we could then expand our domestic and international travel if we wanted to, because we're no longer producing that carbon dioxide from um, from our electricity sector. I thought the
0: cows were responsible for a lot. Well, the cows are
1: percent no, I don't think they're a lot for fourteen percent. But yeah. I think it is 18, 86 I think it is eighty-six or eighty-four percent. of our carbon dioxide comes from our electricity sector. Mm. It is quite high.
0: Okay, right. New topic. Just quickly, this one encryption. So, yeah, I'm not yeah. really sure. Mm. Our well, our of smart devices. And various services provided by tech firms are now heavily encrypted at times. And mm. our government, in a bipartisan move, has just decided to pass a law forcing these companies to provide backdoor access so that our police services and border force, etc., can unencrypt the encrypted data and, and both parties have agreed to this. And it just worries me when two parties agree on something like this. <laughs> Part of me says, well, I've got nothing to worry about because I'm not encrypting anything nasty. But I'm also incredibly sceptical about power being misused and, and governments using this information for stuff that they shouldn't be using it for. You know, looking up what political enemies are doing and then using that information to ruin their reputation and that would be fine you know the solution is to say okay we'll will allow greater power for government agencies to look into this stuff but at the same time we want greater power to look at the government agencies and see what they're up to and unfortunately, while they've given lots of power to the government agencies to do this sort of stuff, they've actually declined to take action where they could then examine the conduct of these government agencies. So we're just giving power away and not increasing our supervision of them. And both parties have agreed to this. Dorfman, you're shaking
2: your head. I am because, you know, I. I, I, I you know, I read a bit about what's going on in China and what the Chinese government are doing with technology and it's sinister. It's, it's all about total control of the citizenry, monitoring them, punishing them for any, you know, perceived uh, infringements of what is, what is right and proper. And, uh, and while, you know, I'd like to think that they were only using it to protect us from terrorism, things like that, it's a bit of a worry, isn't it? When, as you say, there's not enough oversight. And brings to mind that case of the, uh, the whistleblower in the spying of East Timor when they were negotiating that uh, resources contract with East Timor, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and somebody uh, blew the whistle on the Australian government yep. spying, and, and they're being taken to court for it. Mm. I mean, that's, that mm. really worries me.
0: So, a South Australian senator, Rex Patrick. Uh, tried to expand the powers of the Parliament's Intelligence Committee so that the Intelligence Committee could begin and conduct its own inquiries into these agencies if it felt the need to. And unfortunately, the government and the opposition got together and rejected the bill. So it's a worry. You know, ultimately, besides the bedroom issues, these two parties are the same still. Like, there's not much difference between Labor and Liberal on lots of things. Not they're, on the big things, no. They're way too close on lots of things. And the Labor Party's not of the left. Like, they're as much neoliberal as, as the Liberal Party. You know, they agree to these, a lot of these tax cuts and, you know, there's, we don't have a true left-wing
2: party here. That Do you, you want a true left-wing party? Well,
0: if left-wing means protecting these sorts of freedom. Freedoms, then yes.
2: But as we know, the contemporary mm. left wing is not that interested in protecting freedoms.
0: Correct, yeah. The right wing says we need national security, so they're prepared to give up a freedom Mm. for national security purposes.
2: Quite. But if you gave it to the left wing, they they may well take away more freedom. That's right. That's where we're stuck. So that's why we're in the middle, right? Yeah. So that's right.
0: Remember I quoted that Chris Hedges a few weeks ago. He was talking about economics in America, and he said, uh, is there a difference between the Democrats and the Republicans? And he said, said, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, of course there's a difference. It's how you want your corporate fascism delivered to you. Do you want it delivered by a Princeton-educated Goldman Sachs criminal, or do you want it delivered by a racist, nativist, Christian fascist? (laughs) (laughs) And I say, if only the Labor Party had Princeton-educated Goldman Sachs criminals, because the Liberals are giving us the racist, nativist, Christian fascist. But the Labor Party, they're just offering us mere Labor Party hacks. I mean, call me elitist, but when I'm being screwed over, I like to be screwed over in style. <laughs> and we're just getting just Labor Party hacks. Hey,
1: well, we you just got to see, when when I we was researching that Iron Fist Velvet Glove Secular Index, yep. the number of guys from the Labor Party who said that they had, you know, when you went through their Wikipedia entries... They worked for such and such a union, then they worked for so and so minister, and then they got pre selected. Yep. You know, that is the path these guys are on. Mm. And that is what's the problem with the Labour Party. Mm-hmm. Is you go you go through student politics, then you go and work for a union, then you go work for a minister, and then you get then you get pre selected. Yep. That's the problem. Mm. The Liberal Party is not much better, but they've still got a smattering of small business people amongst them. Mm. Although Julia Banks was pretty badly,
2: are small business people any better at making uh, executive decisions
1: for no, the whole country? I don't think they are. Mm-hmm. But you've got a difference of opinion coming through rather than yeah, someone that's it, been cradle to the grave union.
0: Yeah, at least there's a bit more variety of life experience. I don't know hopefully. which is worse, frankly. Right. <Yeah>.
1: If you really push me on it, I'd say mm. the worst is the Labor Party experience, where you've got people that are cradle to the grave union. Yeah, that I think is worse. Like you look at Shorten's history; he has been the yeah. AMWU, that sort of thing, the AWU, and then he's gone. But the Labor
2: it. Party used to have some very intelligent, very well-educated people in there.
0: Absolutely,
1: they, they do, and they still do. And they still have a few. They a few. still do have quite intelligent people there. That's However, true.
0: In the days of Hawke and that, you had the feeling that the uh, that the Labor Party guys who came through had had more about them, even though they well were well educated. A, lot of yeah, them. maybe because they'd worked with industry a bit closer and mm. were actually on, you know, yeah, worked with industry and and on the shop floor a bit more and and not so much just deep in the bowels of of some union. Mm. Office somewhere, Mm. maybe I don't know. It's just the sense you have that they were a better caliber, even though they were pretty much union, my you know, just a a union background. They seemed somehow to be more impressive people than the ones who come through now.
1: Impressive because it was back when the unions actually had to fight for Mm. their members. Mm. A lot of that fight has been taken out of the unions because we have achieved relatively peaceful economic circumstances. Yeah, I'm not saying that wages are growing are going up as fast as they once did. They're not. They're clearly not. And that is a problem because the gap is growing between the well-to-do and the not-so-well-to-do. We've got to address that. However, I do think the unions are now, the union leaders basically never leave their offices. Mm. You know? That's uh, a feeling yeah. again. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Mm. Hey, um... George H.W. Bush passed away, Mm. and normally, well, certainly in America there are glowing testimonies of what a marvellous man he was, and the tradition is that we don't speak ill of the dead, and 12th man, your thoughts on George Bush Sr.?
2: Um, I'm I'm a little bit undecided about George Bush Sr., because... Uh, according to some of the reports, you know, he's a very decent man, very honest, uh, ethical, uh, hardworking, and uh, just a nice guy. And yet, there there was one um, person in my Facebook friends list who's a who's who's pretty high up in an American Humanist Association, and I won't mention his name, but um, he posted something, and he said. You know why is it that when a mediocre president dies that we have to pretend that they were fantastic? He clearly didn't like him. He said, particularly, he mentioned the fact that he helped his inept son become president, <laughs> and we we should hold that against him.
0: Right, that was probably the least of his of his sins. Possibly, uh, he's got a few of them, dear yeah. listener, and
1: I know he's got a few of them. You know, there, there is no doubt about that, but I. I do think that um, it's a lot easier for us to sit over here and throw rocks at them rather than be in their shoes. And there were a number of those decisions that were line ball calls. Now, he clearly chose the wrong side of that line ball, but they were tough decisions to make.
0: Hmm. Let's look at some of those line ball decisions. (laughs) (laughs) First, Iraq war. So... What we had was uh, Saddam Hussein uh, decided to invade Kuwait. And he did so because the Kuwaitis were extracting oil from the Iraqi side of the oil system. So they were essentially starting the drills on their side. How could they do that? Well, they were starting the drills on their side and you've got to drill a long way down. You drill at an angle. Correct. (laughs) So the drawing, plus... They were selling the oil cheap, which he didn't like. So that was ruining the price. You know, I'm not saying he had reasons to, um, good reasons to invade the country, but he said to the Americans beforehand, to the U.S. ambassador, more or less, "I'm thinking of invading uh, Kuwait here. Uh, what do you reckon?" And the U.S. ambassador said, uh, well, "We've got no opinion about that." Really? Yes. This is all on the record. Wow. This is all available. That is all on the record. It's yes. All, a lot there of this stuff no is on that. the record due to WikiLeaks and other you know, release of other government documents. So this so, wasn't
2: common knowledge. This is something that came out with
0: Well, Wikileaks? not common knowledge
2: to the
0: public, but certainly common knowledge to George H.W. Bush. Mm. And so they basically said, well, you know, uh, we've got no
2: opinion. Um, but then the light. U.S. government did publicly say to to the Iraqi government, you'd better withdraw. So,
0: So then they changed their mind. But... They had to then um, get the US people behind them because the people don't care about it. And it nearly to, didn't pass through Congress. Arab countries fighting, and they'd be looking at it thinking, well, why do we have to be involved in that? But you might remember a crucial moment was when this uh, lady gave evidence at a hearing of the Congressional Human Rights Caucus, and she told the story. She just gave her first name as Naira. And she testified she'd been a volunteer at Kuwait's Al-Adan Hospital and said she had seen Iraqi troops ripping scores of babies out of incubators and leaving them to die on the floor of the hospital. Do you remember that? I do. And, I remember and it that. came out that it was a fabrication. Yeah, Exactly. So that was a really uh, crucial moment. Also, so it turned out later, uh, subsequent investigations revealed that this woman was in fact the daughter of Kuwait's ambassador to the US. <laughs> Can you believe that that was her relationship? And and well, she was a natural for the part. She was indeed. So the other thing was that the US said, "Look, uh, Iraq has got two hundred and fifty thousand troops and fifteen hundred tanks on the border, ready to to." move into the Kuwaiti Territory, which is going to threaten a US key oil supplier. So we need oil, and there's all these troops lined up on the border. So, you know, it's a danger to our national interests if we can't get Kuwaiti oil. But at the time, a reporter, Jean Heller of St Petersburg Times, she didn't take their word for it, and she managed to get access to commercial satellite images of the area of the exact time that they're talking about, and there was nothing there. It was just complete bullshit that there were these troops. Just a complete bullshit. So, it's but it an, wasn't bullshit that they invaded Kuwait. No, but the the talk of all these tanks and what they reckon was there was complete bullshit. Yeah. So they're just a bunch of liars on a number of levels. No. Yeah. Come exactly. <laughs> and it's well, you know, those are the days when you believed. Governments, to some extent, if they told you that sort of stuff.
2: so yeah, Times so, have changed. Now we don't believe anything they say, practically. Yeah.
0: So, you know, he made a dishonest case for the war and then subsequently committed war crimes because the bombing that he authorised killed tens of thousands of Iraqis that was just unnecessary and targeted civilian things and... uh you know the tens of thousands of deaths are, that were completely unnecessary because of the excessive bombing on the iraqi side um yeah
1: but civilians have always been killed in wars i mean like you know
0: um, yes, but they particularly targeted sites that were known to be just so civilian, sites. Is, is yeah. civilian sites. So the Luftwaffe
1: targets civilian sites in London, and the RAF targeted civilian sites in Cologne.
0: And when the members of the Luftwaffe died, we didn't give glowing eulogies about what wonderful people they were, <laughs> did we? That's well, the, the German
1: point. side did, yes. That's the point,
0: so the other thing is he was involved in the Iran-Contra affair and he refused to cooperate with the special counsel that was investigating yeah, that. And
1: that was, a, that was a very big problem. He refused, refused to, to hand
0: over his diary and then days before he left the presidency, he pardoned six of the defendants in the, in the whole matter. Like this, this is Trumpian-like, what he was doing there. was just refusing to cooperate and then just issued pardons for his mates. Very ordinary behaviour. And if that wasn't enough, also responsible for a lot of the drug wars, poured lots of money into funding the incarceration of of people on minor drug charges. The
2: war against drugs in in the United States. Correct, yes. Yes.
0: And this is an interesting one. He groped women. So since the start of the Me Too movement in late 2017, at least eight different women have come forward with claims that the former president groped them. In most cases, while they were posing for photos with him, one of them, Rosalind Corrigan, told Time magazine that Bush had touched her inappropriately in 2003 when she was just 16. Uh, at the time, the president was 79. He's a dirty old man as well. Yeah, but so, he, was,
2: he was a bit senile then, wasn't he?
0: Anyway, if you want a full rundown of George H.W. Bush then listen to Cam Riley's latest podcast of, on the bullshit filter where he spends about 90 minutes tearing into him. And um, I agree with Cam. We can't let these people slide and say, so, oh, he was a good beast. I mean, in private, if you're having a dinner party or something or you're a yep. personal friend, no doubt he was charming and lovable. Yeah. Uh, but he was in charge of an apparatus that caused a lot of problems. and totally agree. He, he was the beginning of... Fairly nasty
2: change in the presidency, I think. And when otherwise very nice people stand for high public office, mm. they should be accountable yeah. for whatever they do in that office. Oh, yeah. mm. I, mean, I
1: don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, he should be held to account. Mm. I've still got a foot in both camps about whether or not he was evil or not. I do think that the balance of, li- balance of probability is that he probably was evil. You know? mm.
2: What about the dog? I mean, what dog? Very cute. There was, a, there was a, mm. lot of, um, a lot of photographs on, on, in the media of his dog, his so-called service dog, mm. lying on the floor beside his casket. Mm. I mean, that's just manipulative, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's a trained dog. Did any- the dog <laughs> really know what was inside the box? I, Even if it did, it's still just a dog. It's but just yeah, a it's, dog it's lying. It's the whole imagery of it's, it. They it's love,
0: manipulative They imagery. love all of that sort of pomp and ceremony and people saluting and... And all the rest of it, they love it. And you've got to acknowledge mistakes, otherwise you're condemned to repeat them. Speaking of Cam Riley, he's making a film, and the film is called Marketing the Messiah. And it's going to be a really good look at, actually, I'm going to play a bit. He needs some money, and I'm going to donate some money. And I'm suggesting, dear listener, that you do as well. So here's a little clip of Cam's plea for money. So have a listen to this.
3: Hey, I'm Cameron Riley. I'm the writer and host of Marketing the Messiah. It's a secular documentary about early Christianity that we've been working on for the last couple of years and we need your help to get it finished. Back in March 2017, we ran our first Kickstarter campaign and a lot of people jumped in and helped us out and that enabled us to shoot 98% of the film. I was able to travel around Australia and the United States to interview biblical scholars and ancient historians and get them to help me tell the story of how this small Jewish fringe cult superstition that was a bit of a joke in the backwaters of the Roman Empire ended up over a few hundred years taking over the Roman Empire to a point where all other religions and philosophies were effectively illegal on pain of death. I've really... ...tried to make this film something that will be enjoyable both by Christians and non-believers... ...because it's an important story that we all should have a better understanding of. It's one of the foundational stories of Western civilization. So what we need your help with now is some finishing funds. I've got a few more days of production that I have to shoot, mostly my narration to camera. We need to get some more animation done to help us tell the story in an entertaining way some music needs to be recorded for it, and then we need to sit down and edit the whole thing together. The plan is to have the film finished by December 2018, so we don't have long, and then we want to get it out to market so you can see it in 2019. So if a secular and historical telling of the story of Jesus and his disciples and Paul, all the way up to the Emperor Constantine, is something that sounds interesting to you, Please help us out if you can. We've got a range of rewards that we're excited about, and I'm personally excited about getting this film out there and maybe meeting you at one of the screenings next year. So thanks to everybody who has supported us so far, and I hope some of you will be able to support us in this next round of the funding for the film. And below you'll be able to see some of the stuff that we've already shot, including the first three chapters of the film that we did a rough edit of a couple of months ago. And clips of some of the other scholars, you see the tone, you see the style, what we're going for. It's a serious but fun and secular telling of the story of early Christianity. Thanks for supporting the project.
0: Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a prime candidate for supporting this one. Mm-hmm. And what we noticed at uh, when we went to the Freedom for Faith talk. There's a lot of rewriting of history by these guys, where they're, and I've noticed recently on John Anderson's podcast and that, where they're talking about the wonders of, of Christianity and its place in history and how it's responsible for all the good things that have happened in our lives. And Cam's movie will address some of that and just help us all to become um, much more comfortable when questioning the stuff that the theists tell us about the history of Christianity, particularly in the early days. And um, so there's a link on the show notes. Uh, click on it and throw Cam some money. And if you're in the Brisbane area, I'm sure there'll be a screening where Cam and I will be there at some point. I'm to, I'll host a screening here for any for any of our people. And um, we'll get together and watch the movie, and it will be informative and fun and really worthwhile. And God damn it, the religious groups are, you know, People are reaching into their pockets all the time. When we've gone to Hillsong, we've gone for Freedom for Faith, and (laughs) you don't get asked that often to dip into your pockets and help. But It's not every day that somebody based in Australia, in Brisbane no less, is producing something really worthwhile. Um, So a local is doing something on a topic that's near and dear to all of our hearts. So Mm. no excuses. Click on the site and throw Cam some money and and tell them that the Iron Fist Velvet Glove sent you.
3: Yeah,
1: I've... I'm going to donate too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a very worthwhile cause. Mm.
0: And we'll have a wonderful evening next year where we have a bit of a screening. You've got to pass the plate around and the yeah. screen. Hand over your credit card. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tap, a tap and go. Yeah. <laughs> right, um, back to uh, the Liberal Party.
1: They've changed their rules about leadership changes, Scott. You'd be all over that. I was all over that, yeah. It was... Um, very surprising that they went through that. The Labor Party has a situation that you've got to have two thirds of the party room or something like that. Call a spill motion, which seventy five percent, seventy five percent. You Call a spill motion, then that opens up a ballot of the party membership as well as the ballot of the of the party room. So that's the Labor Party side of things. The Liberal Party side of things has two thirds. Two thirds.
0: Yeah, and it's going to be an elected prime minister, I think. Mm. So Skye so, couldn't benefit from it,
1: no, because he's mm. not been elected. Yep. But if he wins the next election, which he won't, but if he did, then he would be subject to these rules that you can't just go in and enrol him.
0: Yeah, it would have uh, saved Turnbull, and it would have saved Abbott before him.
1: It would but- have saved Turnbull and Abbott before him, mm. you know. But in opposition, Abbott could have still won the job because it was a. It's, this is a year for the prime ministership. It yes. doesn't actually count if you're in the opposition leader's position.
0: Yeah. Although with the Labor Party, if you're an opposition leader, you need 60%.
1: Yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. Oh, look, I mean... I. I'd Good moves, really. They are very good moves. There's no doubt about this. I, I think it would be better if the Liberals opened themselves up to have their party membership vote. Although, as we've seen from the members, they're a hell of a lot more conservative than the, than the membership. So, you know...
0: So, Scamo probably did something right for the first time. Um, Absolutely. Interesting that it just happened in a flash. So, you know, sits on a religious freedom uh, report for months, months, but Mm. when it really counts, like a new law to protect his job, (laughs) gets it done within a few hours of thinking about it.
1: Ah, look, yeah, I I think that's right. You know, I think he was looking after himself more than anything else. But, you know, look, you know. Regardless of why they've done it, it was a good move, so congratulations to the Liberal Party. Mm. But, you know, that's not going to save you at the next election. You're doomed.
0: I was reading something that suggested that the Liberal Party structure is inherently flawed and makes it susceptible to these (laughs) religious parasites. And what it was saying was that in terms of differences between the Liberal and the Labor Party, that... The tone and flavour of the Labor Party is set by the factions and the membership and the party machine a lot more than the Liberal Party where the tone is set by the the leader leader of the day. Mm. And the Labor Party leader is bound by policies of the machine whereas the Liberal Party um, leader is not and therefore... A lot of power rests with the leader of the Liberal Party. And, you know, if you don't – you know, if you were a wet and the leader was a dry, there was nowhere for you to go. Um, you couldn't you couldn't sort of retreat back to a faction because liberals don't – they have factions, but they're not as strong and as and They're as not recognised.
1: Mm. And that is the problem that the Liberal Party's got. So I've actually – Mm. Argued when I was still a member of the LNP, I said I thought it was time to formalise the factions. Mm. You know, you could have a formal faction that would speak up mm. when they were being pushed around, you know. Yeah.
0: So that was an interesting argument, I thought, that the Liberal mm. Party uh, leader, not bound by party policy, has way too much power and dictates the ideology more than he should or she should.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's... um. <laughs> I don't know what the hell was wrong with Malcolm Turnbull because he was being pushed around by the right wing of the party. But you know. he
2: told us there were no factions in the Liberal
1: Party. Well, he said mm. there was no factions, but he was he was only joking, I would have thought. Mm.
0: The Australian thinks that there's factions. Uh,
2: <laughs> Where do and, they get that from? Yeah,
0: so the Australian newspaper, dear listener, is full of bullshit. <laughs> there were three things that I came across. One was the editorial, editorial on the 27th of November. This is the headline. Turnbull's moderates blow up a centrist government. For God's (laughs) sake. So moderates are blowing up a centrist government. They've They've got got it back the front, haven't they?
1: They did have it back the front. It was the the right-wing nutters that blew up the centrist government.
0: Yeah. Uh, Also, just before the Victorian election, the Australian confidently predicted that the coalition parties would win at least nine seats from Labor, including Daniel Andrews' seat of Mulgrave. (laughs) Uh one of the leading political journalists, the always pontificating Chris Kennedy, tweeted a prophecy. This is about the Victorian election. He said Daniel Andrews is finished, <laughs> soft on crime, paid a billion dollars not to build a tunnel, siphoned taxpayers' money to get elected, a drover's dog could beat him. <laughs> so yeah, so that's uh that's the Australian. Um do you know things do you know the situation in the UK with, um, with
3: state Brexit? schools
0: no with schools and religious schools it's worse than here in some respects isn't it? it's very similar
2: but in a different way they f- <laughs> they fund a lot of schools that are religious schools um, and they they had some some requirement for them to enroll what was it 50% of children who didn't necessarily belong to that religion Well, I've got a
0: quote here that says, Since the 1990s, governments in the UK have encouraged minority religious groups to set up their own faith schools, which are funded by the state,
3: Mm.
0: but allowed to select pupils on the basis of their religion. So a few opened up under Tony Blair's first Labor government, but since 2010, faith groups have benefited from the free schools program um, which lets a wide variety of organisations set them up, and there are now 101 non-Christian religious state schools in England. So, uh, so like they're calling them state schools.
2: Contradiction in terms.
0: That it? allow discrimination based on mm-hmm. faith. Um, we just do it a different way. We just hand the money over to the religious schools and say, "Do with it as you please," and I'll mm. add your own fees onto it to keep out the undesirables, if that's what you'd like to do. Yeah. Uh, Paul, you have been looking at SBS and a program that suggests that Australia is sexist.
2: (laughs) I did. I Mm. watched
0: the program. It gets your goat, this sort of stuff, doesn't it?
2: Look, it does a little bit. And, you know, people might assume that I'm some sort of sexist pig who doesn't think women have any issues. And it's not true at all. Of course, you know, like all reasonable people, I think women should feel safe walking the streets and shouldn't be harassed or shouldn't suffer any discrimination like anybody else. But, um, look, the program itself was an example of uh, choose your social theory and then make a TV program to prove it's true. Mm -hmm. And it was a a blank slate, basically. It was this idea that... um, men behave the way way they do purely because of childhood training and conditioning.
0: I watched some of it. So they had a girl who was standing on a traffic island. Yes. um, Near a beach. Near a beach, taking a selfie, and in a very short period of time, a lot of passing cars hooted and tooted and called out comments and wolf whistled, etc. There was a guy a bit further down the road in a singlet Doing the same thing and not a single thing. What did you think of that experiment? I thought it was really contrived. Right.
2: Uh, um, I mean, it's an attractive young girl. um, Not expecting men, you know, standing in, in, you know, and she's entitled to dress as she wishes. But she was. It didn't take long, did it? It it didn't take eight minutes, and there were about eight wolf wolf whistles. It was pretty quick. you know, one of one of her comments, particularly, she said, "Oh, did you see that? that? was there was two men in a car, and they must have been at least fifty, and I am only twenty two. How dare they find me sexually attractive?" Basically, was what she was saying. I mean, mm. what does she think men are? Mm. You know, men over fifty have, have no sort of yeah, sexual but, component, okay? But they weren't just looking; they're actually calling
0: out, yeah, and tooting, and wow. so you know, they were being men. Well,
2: I mean, they were being meant. Did d- they jump man, out?
0: Does a man really have to go,
2: hey, show
0: us your tits? Or, you know. They didn't say that. No, but, you know, or something like, nice legs, or, yeah. or, yeah, some other crass comment. Like, oh. really? Does a man have to say that? I can, I can forgive men for looking and turning their head and going, Ooh. Oh, but surely. Not much discipline is required. Just, sh- just shut up and not say anything. Like they didn't have like, to,
2: but they like, didn't stop the as, car. As a, as a they fif- didn't jump out. As a fifty-year-old man, her. did you ever wolf whistle or make a comment to a twenty-year-old girl? Like, you like, I'm not that kind of guy, as you know. But, no, well, that's right. That's the point. But you, look, you'd be ashamed to be that sort of guy. It's just not something I would do. But at the same time, I think, I think it's a. No, I mean I I think this idea that age is a determining factor on sexual attraction is totally wrong headed. Attraction's fine oh, but but commenting uh, and Yeah. They unsolicited didn't stop the comments. car, did they? They drove past. No. They no, well, kept going and unsolicited comments. Yeah. But look, what about the rest of the programme? Did you see any I saw another else?
0: section where she was walking through a street and um, and the some, same thing, some young, some, some young blokes said, oh, nice, nice legs. legs. Yes.
2: And she turned around and said, you have no right to say that. How dare you? Yep. And they were like, hey, baby, you know, what's the harm? We're just paying you a compliment. We're mm. just saying, you know, you look nice. And mm. she was saying, well, you, you shouldn't be saying anything at all. Mm. You know? mm. I mean, it's this idea that, you know, men should keep their sexuality to themselves. Mm. But it's it's the nature of the beast, isn't it? I mean, this is this is courtship. This is courtship. You know, this is this is how sexual creatures behave. They 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 give signals indicating interest. Mm-hmm. And in the modern in the modern era in Australia, this is how men express their interest. Now, if she's not interested, she keeps walking. If she's interested, she might turn around, and smile at them. But you know, I mean. They didn't, they didn't accost her as such, you know what I mean? And, look, I was, I was talking to Scott about this on the way over and I said to Scott, look, yeah, I, I can understand, to be fair, I can understand if you're a female and everywhere you went you got comments or you got, um, you know, especially if they were lewd, you know, highly sexually charged comments. But, you know, I think nice legs, I, I don't think that's particularly threatening but of course was, I'm, a, was, I'm a male and mm-hmm. I I don't know how that feels for a female so to be fair it was happening a, it seemed to happen a lot like it did I I thought the I thought the
0: wolf whistling there was a lot I was surprised how quickly it was happening to her when she was standing there on that road Yeah. it, it was pretty endemic it was yeah. a lot if it was once a month once in a blue moon you could put up with it but yeah. that was a lot that would be quite intimidating i think
2: yeah Look, you know I agree that it, it probably would make a woman mm. feel uncomfortable, but uh, it was pretty contrived as well you know they, they they got actors, yeah, well, to you know pretend to be working in a pub, and you know the guy was going out of his way to you know be a bit gross with the the young female actress right. Who was pretending to be, you know, on the job for the fir- first day, and uh, right? And they were saying, you know, how many, how many of the other blokes in the pub will play along with it? And some did sort of play along with it, but quite a few of them also said, "Oh, look, you know, leave her alone, mate. That's right. that's out of line. You know, mm-hmm. you you know, you're acting like a dickhead. So mm-hmm. just stop it. You know." Mm-hmm. But look, I it, again, I go back to what I, it seemed to me it was. It was blank slate theory. It was this idea that our sexual, risk, you know, behaviour is totally written onto us as children, which is false. Mm-hmm. It's completely false. Anyone who works in in biology, particularly evolutionary biology, will tell you mm-hmm. that a lot of it is written into our genes. Right.
0: Well, I'm very sympathetic to guys looking because I understand that's hardwired
2: into the genes, and it's and it's. And they're going to turn their head and look. Can I mention one more thing? Hmm. In that scene where – I think it was that scene where she was um, – it was one of the scenes – I forget whether it was that young woman or whether it was uh, Yumi Steins. I didn't bit. watch the whole thing. I just yeah. got bits of it. Okay. There was a scene where, um, uh, yeah, they were talking about, you know, this kind of um, harassment in a public place and um, – they were talking about the harmful conditioning of children into gender roles via toy choice you know they were really that was in this program oh yeah mm. but then there was a, there was another scene and where they were they were condemning men for whistling or making comments like that in in the background i noticed there was a woman clearly a muslim woman walking with a very young girl walking past them and the very young, and they were both dressed to the ankle, and the young girl, you know, fully clothed with long, modest clothing, head covering, the whole works. And she yeah. was a young girl; she was prepubescent. Mm-hmm. They didn't comment on that. So talk about conditioning children, for, you know, in sexual ways. Mm. They didn't make a comment about, you know, my, the way minorities condition their their daughters. Mm. No comment at all. It was all about Australian men. Mm. Now, I thought that was a bit of a double standard.
0: Yes, with you there. Mm. Mm. I've got two daughters and there's been many occasions where they've headed out the door or I've been with them and it's like, can you wear something that covers oh, no. a <laughs> bit more skin? <laughs> it's embarrassing. Like <laughs> well, just cover why, up. Why embarrassing? So. Yeah. Um. Because to me, it was verging on a, a uh, it was a tacky look. It was like you're showing, you're actually not accentuating your features. You're actually, you've gone too far. That was my feeling on a number of occasions. It's very difficult for a father to tell a daughter
2: what to do at the best of times. Yeah, look, <laughs> let, alone,
0: I, <laughs> let alone what to wear. I have a daughter <laughs> so, who
2: used to go out... Yeah. Um, yeah. Very sexually dressed, as yes. Well. So,
0: by you know, and I don't mind. I wouldn't mind sexually dressed, but with too much skin is is not sexy. It's it's trampish.
2: So that was oh, that's that, a bit uh, judgmental, that, isn't it? It, it is, of course, it is.
0: But yeah. that was my feeling. So I struggled with yeah. that. And did you ever uh, dress? You know, I know a, lots of girls as a, as a do, tramp
2: yourself. No. A male version of
0: no, a train Because there isn't of, one, is there? So, but I know lots of girls do, and that's why I say you can't complain about men looking at you when you have dressed that way because that's just a response. But I do blame the guys for actually then doing stupid wolf whistles and things like that you can, you don't need to do. So
2: but look, it's I, interesting. Again, I think a lot of the behaviour that mm. we might judge or condemn mm is uh, is sort of, you know, this mm. is normal animalistic courtship behaviour, mm. which is obviously mediated by our specific cultural norms. But yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's courtship behaviour nonetheless. Mm.
0: Yeah. We've previously spoken about a Western journalist in Iran who was wearing very modest Iranian dress in her job as a, journalist and walking from her apartment to her workplace and so she was covered head to toe in the sort of garb that you were just describing and you might think that that would be a solution to the wolf whistling but she wrote an article and I've got a link to it here where she complained about incredible terrible wolf whistling and Awful kissing and kissing noises and yeah. smacking of lips yeah, yeah. and terrible yeah, yeah. sorts of stuff from nearly every bloke she came across. Exactly. They were so sex deprived in that world that covering up made no difference at all. Absolutely. I and mean, she thought it was just her, but when she spoke with other women they said, No, no, it's mm. it's all of us. We've yeah. all copying the same thing. Yeah,
2: which shows that it is innate mm. in the species. It's yeah. not something that our disgusting Western culture has taught our boys to do. Yeah, but she made a point
0: that there was one way that you could avoid that sort of sexual harassment: stay at home. No, got any ideas, Scott? Well, you've probably read it. <laughs> Carry an are AK you reading 47? my notes?
1: <laughs> I'm reading your notes here. Yeah, but uh... yeah.
0: the magical wand to ward off men is simple. Have another man beside you. So if you've got a man accompanying you, then the wolf whistling and all the rest of it ceases. Yeah. It's because yeah, you're taken. So sort of matches up with your theory about courtship behaviour because that ceases because they figure, well, there's no chance because this girl's already got a guy. So mm-hmm. but there you go. If it would have been an interesting experiment with that girl, they should do this next time, uh, dress her the same way having a selfie, but with a male beside her. Mm. And
2: uh, would the same wolf whistles have
0: happened? I don't think so.
2: Yeah. Mm. But it's a, it's a. Muslim cultures are basically what they call honour cultures, aren't they? Mm. Where women are expected to be under the, either the protection or the care or control of a man. And if they're not, then they're often seen as fair game. True. But you would still say the same
0: applied in Australia with that girl with the selfies. If there was Mm. a guy beside her and they're getting the selfies, you you wouldn't have the same level of
2: wolf whistles. No, I don't suppose you would.
0: Mm. We, of course, spoke about Aboriginals last week Mm. and we said a treaty is not a good idea. It's a racist policy. (laughs) And our friend Robin Bristow, who's been on the show before, he made a comment on either the blog or on the Facebook page saying, until a treaty is signed... An acknowledgement of country is an essential part of any official gathering. It is not a racist gesture, but a simple recognition that we stand on stolen land. still have to disagree with you, Robin.
1: Here's the thing. Do I, am I the only one that feels uncomfortable with the word stolen land?
2: No, you're
3: not.
1: Uh, you know, is that symptomatic of my white privilege? Me to say that it's not stolen, that, you know, my parents bought it? <laughs>
0: The difficulty is, if you accept that it was stolen land, the people who it was stolen from died hundreds of years ago. And what we're now talking about is their descendants. But the difficulty is that their descendants are now mixed up with the very people who stole it off them in the first place. So if you are saying that, that some people inherit the guilt in some kind of Secular version of original sin, mm. and then at the same time you're saying other people inherit the uh, the
1: the the grievance
0: victim status. Yes, the yeah. victim status, and you're saying that inheritance comes through bloodlines. You're, you're asking for trouble, Robin. Like what? What do you say to the argument that that the very people who are claiming grievance due to inheritance of victimhood? are also the inheritor, inheritors of,
2: of, of the perpetrator. Of, of the perpetrator. Yeah. Mm.
0: How do you resolve that? How do you? Yeah. That's my question, Robin. Yeah. Put that in your comments for next, under this program. <laughs> and that,
1: that, 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 is, that is a very good point, Trevor, because you've got some people that are, you know, a quarter Aborigine who are claiming that they have got this bloodline and that sort of stuff, yeah. Yeah. but they're ignoring three quarters of their historical mm. past. Yep. Yeah. You
0: know. And it's incredibly unhealthy for a society to start
2: segregating special benefits based on bloodlines. Yeah. Mm. Can I and read something
1: from an I
3: mean,
2: article it, I came across? And it's, yeah. sorry to interrupt, well, right. but it's, it's really relevant. And it, it's not exactly about the land rights issue. It's about something else. But anyway, listen to this. It says, turning the past into a morality play in which grandstanding politicians and academics act as saviours can have deleterious consequences for the way we understand it. Looking back on earlier times is a privileged and elevated position from which to view it, one that is often distorted by current preoccupations and interests. I mean, that really resonates with me. You know, it's easy to reinterpret history to suit your particular causes. But, you know, I mean, the people, as you say, Trevor, those people are long gone, they're long dead and everything has become so mixed up in terms of, you know, what, who, and what people are descended are from. Where mm. do you decide who owns yep. what?
0: Yep. And as I say, you know, my father was a prisoner of war at Changi Prison and Burma Railway. He's got a lot of, you know, grievance against the Japanese. Do I get to inherit some of that? Do I somehow have some sort of inherited? Uh, victimhood status against the Japanese exactly. for what was done? Of
2: course not. Of course not. The current generation it, 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 of Japanese had nothing to do exactly. with it. Exactly.
0: The current generation, mm-hmm. do we do we say to them, you're evil pricks?
2: That's right. And you the know, current you, generation you've got, of Australians, you, on, you've, you've got, yeah. on the whole, had nothing to do with that. Yeah. It is what it is. We mm-hmm. live in the world as it is now. And while we should do everything we can in our power, To ensure that Indigenous Australians and every Australian has the same opportunity to a Mm. good and satisfying and fulfilling life.
1: But this is where Trevor comes with Trevor's notion that you should only support people based on their circumstances, that you should look at their um, their prosperity. If you've got a welfare
0: program that's designed to help people who are... Poor. Poor.
1: You've got to throw the the same amount of money at them regardless of what their skin tone is. Mm,
0: Exactly. So, you know, the whole treaty thing is talking about a special branch of our federal government is going to be created where laws are run past this special Aboriginal group uh, for their consultation. Mm. That, to me, you know, in the UK they've got the House of Lords, and it's stacked full of odd characters mm. who have inherited their position, and clergy, yes. it's and others completely
2: unrepresented.
0: Exactly, they're they're trying to get rid of some of these numbskulls out of mm-hmm. the House of Lords, and we're tr- we're proposing to create a, a House, House of, of Lords Lord. That's full right. of inherited, inherited occupants. privilege. It's just not the way to go. It's not at all. Um, And not only that, it's divisive. It's divisive.
1: It it is. And it's just, you know, the three of us are quite reasonable people, but I would say that if a referendum gets up, we'll be voting no. Would that be right? Absolutely. I'd be voting no
0: to any
2: sort of special privilege based on
0: race. And and who's
2: next? Who's next to stand up and say we are an oppressed minority and we deserve special privileges? Mm.
0: Now, the other thing that you've been uh, sending... Emails about Twelfth men during the week was about, again, Aboriginal um, circumcision yeah. and, and, and sexual practices. and yeah. There was a community, the Garawa, Yanyula Mara and Gudanji people of Buralula. And in this community, they had some boys who were subjected to some sort of initiation ceremony that involved circumcision and it was pretty much botched and three of them had to be uh, evacuated to a
2: hospital in Darwin or somewhere like that. This and, happened several years ago, by the way. I think right. it was 2014 or something. Right. Like that.
0: Yeah. yeah. And what we've got is a very dangerous, abusive and painful procedure that's getting a green light because of cultural Culture. reasons where if it was happening anywhere else to kids,
2: we'd be saying... Because these are minors, under yes. 18. Um, were they? Yes. Yeah, I think so,
0: yeah. Teenage boys. And the be...
2: ABC did a report on it. Yep. And there was a big uproar that... Um, Correct. They Ab- were vi- The ABC was violating their cultural sanctity of some sort by even reporting it. Correct. Oh, the, the community was outraged, outraged, the Aboriginal community. This is what they
0: said. This ceremony has existed in our cultures for thousands of years and is very sacred, exclamation mark. The sacredness of our ritual strictly forbids viewing and comment by the public. Open discussion in front of women and those who are uninitiated is a very serious infringement. In the past, such an infringement would have met with dire consequences. Very dire. Not allowed to talk about our secret men's business with...
2: This is where we have to say, sorry, you're part of the general community. And not only that, but you're in the 21st century. Mm. And uh, sorry, but if that's the culture you want to hold on to, uh, well, maybe yeah. you need to think again about that. So
0: if you really need to hang on to that, then you need to get properly qualified doctors available on the site to help out if it's botched and poor buggers, bleeding all over the place.
1: Mm. I just hate the whole practice. I mean, Mm -hmm. neonatal circumcision is one thing. I don't agree with it. However, it's completely different to grabbing kids that are already 12 or 13 and putting them under the knife or a sharpened rock. It's Mm -hmm. really disgusting.
0: Speaking of disgusting, (laughs) Jacinta Nampichimpa-Price also told in an article a harrowing story about... Sexual abuse of women in ab- Aboriginal communities, and it just goes to show it's it's
2: it's not all wonderful. And she's it's one not of the people who's saying culture is one thing, but culture sometimes needs to change. Mm. And Absolutely, if the it- culture isn't a, an appropriate part of the in a 21st century life in a developed country, then mm. maybe it's worth, le- you know, leaving behind in, in the past.
0: Terrible stories of old men being, you know, women, young teenage young girls, girls being allocated to dirty old men. Oh, just, just terrible. Just it over to men.
3: And, and this was
2: apparently, mm. according to, and not only high report, but if you read other reports on, on the subject, it's apparently a part of tradition in at least, Some Aboriginal communities in some parts of Australia. I couldn't say all, but in some where young girls were, uh, even when they were married off to a young guy, they were sometimes handed over to an older chap for Mm. sexual training, as it were. Yes, uh, yes. And not only training in terms of allowing the older man to have sex with the girl but sometimes they were brutalized you know mm. their their external genitals were brutally cut open in order to you know because they were young girls for mm. goodness sake in in order to facilitate the um uh, shall we call it rape and it, and sometimes it wasn't just the older gentleman it was a group of mm. of gentlemen who would grab a young girl and prepare her for her uh, sexual life by raping it, by gang oh, raping it. It's the sort of Good stuff sense. that it was happening anywhere else we'd be saying. We'd be outraged. Stop. Yes. Yeah. You know, but, but because it's culture, it's yeah. somehow uh, – yeah. and, 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 of course, our – look, I, I looked up the Australian Museum website, which is located in Sydney, the um, Indigenous culture section,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it was – my goodness – no mention of any untoward aspects of traditional culture. It was very, very, it was a very rosy picture and there were a lot of um, excuses. Well, I shouldn't say excuses perhaps, but they just totally ignore all the bad parts. Mm. There wasn't even a mention and I I was specifically looking for something a bit anthropological, a bit analytical, a bit sort of something that defined the pre-contact culture, do you know, they do not even um, categorise pre-contact Aboriginal culture. And, I mean, most people would assume, and I think quite rightly, it was a Stone Age culture. Mm-hmm. Now, I had a, a conversation with a colleague about this, and she she grimaced when I said Stone Age as if I was insulting them. And I said to her, look, This isn't a judgment. This isn't a criticism. No,
0: that was a result of the conditions. Because what you had here in Australia was a plentiful supply of protein and um, not too many people. So they didn't need to resort to agriculture Mm. in the same way that, um, you know, older settlements of Australia and European culture needed because they didn't have the population pressures so when you uh, develop an agricultural um, community, then you have to store it and then you need to account for it and that's when you develop writing. So um, so there are a number of things that they didn't develop simply because the land was so bountiful that they didn't have to and that's, that's fair
2: enough. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think that's a bit too simplistic. I, I, I'm not sure whether anybody knows for sure why... You know one culture develops agriculture and another doesn't. It might be purely circumstantial. It, it also has to do with um, the
0: seeds that you have that are available, available exactly and and also the climate. yeah so um, uh, so yeah, it's got you know other factors like that as well.
2: So, so. Eurasia had, for example, animals that were amenable. To being domesticated. Whereas in Australia, you could probably argue the native animals weren't really amenable to being domesticated. And yeah. if you know, in, in terms of herd animals, that yeah. sort of and thing. Yeah,
0: and I mean, if you don't have wheat or, or, a, or a grass like that, then you're stuck. It, it just and doesn't happen. And you need the climate as well. Yeah. And um, even I was reading something um, which suggested that Africa, for example, had areas where. Uh, certain crops could grow. But Africa's a big country in terms of running north-south and the temperatures... Africa's climates- a big
2: country. You're making it, the Dantian th- the continent <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> thank you. A big continent. Can we, can we call that doing a Dantean? <laughs> we can. My apologies, Dan. Actually, he's on my list here. Thank you. But it's a big uh,
0: continent running north-south and yeah. the temperatures and the climate change a lot. And if you've got some seed that is effective in the southern part, it changes a lot to be whether it's still effective in the north. Mm. Whereas in, um, in, in sort of uh, European and um, Western Asian areas, they're all on the same sort of uh, north-south temperate sort of zone and and a crop would be successful in a lot of areas where there were a lot of people. So they could domesticate crops more easily. Anyway, that was a line of argument I heard. Mm. But, you know, so basically I'll run the argument that for Aboriginal people things were bountiful and they didn't have to resort, but they they weren't forced to adopt practices that more complex societies were Mm. forced into due to climate and circumstance.
2: Mm. But look, you know, I don't don't see the problem in describing particular cultures through Mm. history according to the level of technology. And Mm. to describe pre-contact Indigenous culture as Stone Age, I don't think that's a slight on them in Mm. any way. I think that's just descriptive. Mm. And yet the Australian Museum chose not to mention that at all. Mm. They just, uh, well, they described it in rather airy-fairy ways, if I can put it like that.
1: Mm.
0: Hey, time to say t- uh, to thank the patrons. We've got a new patron called Captain Doomsday. Thank you, Captain Doomsday. <laughs> Gosh.
1: Thank you very much, Captain. <laughs> yes. uh,
0: starting at the top, Sean, Alex, Ayame, uh, Tony, The Beneficiary, Janelle, John, Deep Throat, Landon Hardbottom, Jimmy Spud, Wado, Alison, Steve, Caitlin, Matt J, Rod, Wadley, uh, Kane, Bronwyn, Robert, Dean, Matic Man, Less Is More, Pele, was Dominic, Daniel, Harry, Liam, Dave, The Squeaky Wheel, Peter, Gavin, uh, Captain Doomsday, (laughs) and and Ken. We've got one of the Kens, we've lost a Ken, but the other Ken has very serious uh, issues going on in his life, and um, so we're down to one Ken. So good luck to the other Ken, mate. You are in my... Thoughts and prayers, and I'll see you <laughs> in late January, mate. And um, uh, not a problem at all. Keep listening. We're really going over time. And were there any others that you wanted to really cover, or should we finish up?
1: <laughs> Don't cry for Julia Banks. Oh, I could again. live on 40 bucks a day, knowing the government is supporting me with Newstart to look for employment, Miss Banks replied in an interview on ABC Radio. Yeah,
0: so she's left the Liberals and she's being hailed as a as a wonderful woman and she just couldn't handle the bullying and the mm. and the ultra-conservative views of the Liberal Party and she's moved to the crossbenches and let's clap, clap, clap for a principled woman and she's a neoliberal nutcase.
1: Absolutely. You know, it, it, this is what a lot of people have forgotten is that she voted with the government for the, well, no, not the 2014 budget because she wasn't in there. But she was elected in two thousand and sixteen, wasn't she? I don't know. Well, she was elected when the last time we went to the polls, which was two thousand and sixteen. Yeah, she was elected then. So she voted for all of the corporate tax cuts. Corporate tax cuts, blah 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 blah.
0: And and when they were talking about increasing uh, Newstart, she said, "No, can't do that. That's Mm. just going to break the budget." Mm -hmm. I can I can live on forty bucks a day. Mm -hmm. Her words.
1: So... She couldn't live on 40 How much does and, she get paid? No, so, she gets a couple hundred thousand dollars a year from yeah. being a... So what
2: does that work out to per day? Well, I don't know. I
1: to I'm gonna,
2: it's quite a lot more than $40.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: I'm going to start at some stage. We've got the secular index. I'm going to start the neoliberal uh, index for just the ones who are just... They'll probably all be on there, but... At, I was having a discussion with a friend at the, actually at the podcast meetup, and he was talking about, he's got, this is Joe, different Joe from the Joe you guys know, but another Joe, and a bit of a libertarian, and a real, loves the free market. The free market will just work things out, and uh, yeah, government I get out of the way, and let it. the free market do its thing. And we gentlemen, at some stage, in the not too distant future, are just going to do a free market is bullshit um, episode where we once and for all tackle the fact that the free market's fine for determining, you know, how many coffee shops should be in West End. You know, in terms of simple supply and demand of non-essential services, free market's okay, but um, otherwise regulation is needed. So um, For essential services. Absolutely. Power supply, water. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Say so, right, my wife is um, looking <laughs> at me and saying, "What the hell are you still podcasting for?" So, dear <laughs> listeners, you know we've only been going for uh, you know an hour and forty-five minutes or something like that. And, <laughs> and the reason we're not the pressure, Trevor. the reason we're not going for two and a half is because Mrs. Fist is is putting her fist down. <laughs> 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 we better sign off and. Um, and just remember, dear listener, uh, look for the link on our show notes and head over to Cam Riley's Kickstarter and throw some money his way. It is a good cause, I can assure you. And
1: we'll talk to you next week. Bye for now. See ya. Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye now. You got to know when to
3: hold up, Know when to
0: fold up. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. You never
3: count your money when you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough to count when the dealing's done.
0: Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing